is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 155 for Monday, March the 24th, 2014. Mm. This episode is coming to you on the Monday evening after the penultimate episode for season four. Yes. That means there's only one more to go next week. And I feel like I'm getting a little bit of a cold. Oh, really? I just want to say right now. So I'll try not to snot all over the microphone or anything gross like that and hope Hopefully I sound okay. You sound fine. I'm, I'm sorry that you're getting a cold. It's because we're going through a, a holy crap, did you see that winter, winter. <laughs> and uh, I'm, you know, quite frankly, sick of it. Oh my God, am I sick of it too. Like, this has been the worst winter of all time. Well, I don't know about that. Of my life? Well, I don't know if it was the worst winter of all time. That I can remember in my opinion. What about 1999 when we had that snowstorm and had the uh, the reserves come and dig out the city? Not here for it. Was in Europe for the winter of 1999. Oh, you, oh that was a great... I had a really good time that winter. We had uh, six people in a basement apartment uh, for like six days. Yeah, it was, well... It was great. We almost had that here during the ice storm in December, but here we are at the 24th of March and it is still super cold outside. There's ice everywhere. There's snow everywhere. The city's just a disaster. I mean, We're supposed to get a, another centimeter tonight. See what I mean? Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> this winter is never freaking ending, and I'm yeah. super tired of it. Yeah. Uh, we need to open a studio in Southern California and move the podcast there. San Diego, my friend. Yeah, whatever. San Diego, L.A. I'll take any of those places. Texas, I, I don't want to go there. Through. Nope. Too hot. I like it like this. Oh, you're nuts. You I'm just not. sick of the snow, and I want it to warm up just a little bit so I can start woodworking in my garage again, because it's not a you know, heated garage. And that's all, that's all I'm asking for, is just a little sunshine and a little moderate temperature, maybe 10 degrees. That's it. 10 degrees Celsius. That's all I'm asking for. Oh, okay. I thought you meant 10 degrees more than it is now. And I'm like, dude, that only makes it like one or two degrees above zero. That's not enough. Just 10 degrees Celsius and a nice sunny day so that I can open my garage door and start doing stuff. I'll take 25 and sunny. Thank you very much. All so. right. You take it. Um, anyways, we're not here to b talk about the weather or bitch about the weather, even though it sucks. Yeah. But I do want to talk about something new that we're going to be doing here Ooh, on the podcast. New, new. So we've been for a long time, you know, uh, part of the Audible program, and we've been recommending books. And we will still do that occasionally, I think, because Audible has been good to us. We also have our Amazon link, which mm -hmm. uh, when you do your shopping at Amazon, if you visit amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com before, we get a little cut, which is very, very nice. And we uh, really, really appreciate everyone who has been doing that. So happy, to do, happy if you keep doing that too. But we are going to try something new here for a little a while. Now, this was... This service, anyways, was recommended to me by a listener whose name I should have written down, so I apologize I don't have you in front of me, but thank you for sending in the email about this. We have, the Talking Dead podcast has signed up for Patreon, Ooh. which is a basically a, a service online that allows people to uh, support 
content creators or support people who make stuff that they like. That can be art, it can be videos, it can be, uh, you know, really anything, including podcasts. Mm -hmm. So what we're hoping that you amazing listeners will do is head over to our Patreon page and pledge us a tiny little bit of your hard-earned money. Now, no hard feelings if you don't want to or can't. That's not what it's about here. All we're trying to do is, you know... Bring in just enough money to keep the podcast going, pay for bandwidth, pay for hosting, pay for all the things that we, we need uh, you know, to keep paying for to keep this thing off the uh, ground here. Yeah, keep the lights on and the mics hot. Exactly, which we, I think we've said before. So yeah. if you go to patreon.com slash thetalkingdead, that will be our page where you can become a patron of what we do. And we're not talking about a lot of money here. You can give as little or as much as you want, starting at, I think, one cent per month. Wow. Um, I'm going to start pledging that right now. <laughs> Thanks, man. I can afford 12 cents a year. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that, that's going to help. Every little bit is going to help. We really do, <laughs> we really will appreciate it. Now, we've set up some uh, some s sort of levels of, of support and I'm going to run through them right now, if you don't mind. Okay. Nope. $1 per month. If you pledge $1 per month, just $12 a year, you become a supporter, an official supporter of the Talking Dead podcast. And what we will do is post your name on a supporters page on our website so that uh, you can be recognized. Now, if you don't want us to do that, let us know. And we don't want to post something that, or we don't want to post someone's name if, if they'd prefer us not to. But... Otherwise, if you don't let us know, we'll post you on the supporters page and you'll be forever enshrined there and you can brag to your friends and stuff like that. Right. If you go to $2 per month, that'll be our silver level of support. And for that level, you will become you know, an official supporter. You'll get your name on the page and we'll be happy to announce your name and thank you on an upcoming podcast. You get actually say your name on the podcast? Right. So, awesome. Jason, if you supported at $2 per month... Not the one cent per month. No, no, no. If you went to the silver level, $2 per month, right? I would say something like, thank you a great deal to Jason Miles from Pickering, Ontario, for supporting the podcast. Right. That's um, worth it. I'm going to do it. All right. Fantastic. If you go to $5 for, per month, that's our gold level, uh, what we will do is everything from the first two levels as well as mail you an actual thank you postcard signed by both of us. Yeah. So you'll, you'll get a Talking Dead podcast postcard. That's, come on, who doesn't want one of those? And finally, if you get to the platinum level, which is $10 or more per month, you'll get everything from the first three levels, and the postcard that we mail you will contain a one-of-a-kind zombie drawing done by friend of the show, Dave. That'd be exciting. So we really want to send out something unique, something special. Dave does comics. He, d he draws zombies all day or ogres or various other things. And he loves, he loves drawing stuff. So he has been nice enough to offer to draw a completely original, one-of-a-kind zombie drawing on the postcard that we send you for anyone who pledges at the platinum level of $10 per month or more. That's awesome. Having said all that, you can pledge as much or as little as you want. If you decide that we're worth 100 bucks a month, well, you can do that if you'd like. That's ultra super gigantic platinum. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. If we get, if we have any more official levels, we'll have to come up with names like that. Um, but if you decide you just have ten cents a month to spare, you can pledge that much much as well. Every little bit counts. So we'll see how this goes. Hopefully, there are people out there that don't mind supporting us, and all the money we collect will just go back into the podcast um, and and just help us make it better and and you know as do it as good as we can. Because God knows it's not that great right now. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. It's I think it's fine, but you know we want to make it as good as we can. So, yeah. um, the to- uh, pa- Patreon.com/slash/TheTalkingDead. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash/TheTalkingDead to become a patron of what we're doing. And if you have any questions, uh, they have you know FAQs on their site, or send me an email, TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions if I can. Or, or find out the answer for you when I can't. So um, there you go. Let's, uh, let's, let's see how this goes for a little while. And uh, hopefully there are some people out there that would be willing to throw just, you know, a little bit of their hard-earned money our way just to help support what we do. Good stuff. Okay, Jason, I'm going to play an entry in our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. Ooh, goody, goody. I forgot about that in the last 10 minutes, and so I'm excited about it all over again. All right, man, here we go. This comes from Chuck on Planet Earth. Hold on, hold on. You're talking about this like it's already decided. This is a young man's life, and it is worth more than a five-minute conversation. Is this what it's come to? We kill someone because we can't decide what else to do with them? You saved him, and now look at us. He's been tortured. He's going to be executed. How are we any better than those people that we're so afraid of? If we do this, the people that we were, the world that we knew is dead. And this this new world is ugly. It's harsh. It's survival of the fittest. And that's a world I don't want to live in. And I don't, I don't believe that any of you do. I can't. Please. Let's just do what's right. Isn't there anyone else who's going to stand with me? You're right. This group is broken. Okay, thank you, Chuck. So that was Chuck doing Dale's speech yeah. from the end of season two. Was it the end? Or hmm. was it the just before the mid-season? So he was talking about Randall, and Randall was the guy that they captured and held captive in a barn for a while and then they oh, were okay no it was the end yeah they were deciding whether to kill him or not and so on right. and dale was trying to be the voice of reason for everybody in that you know the group is if we're if we're considering killing this guy who's really done nothing to us right um this group is broken so what i liked about that one is i think chuck really nailed the inflection that jeffrey demun used as dale in that scene that's uh, yeah it's awesome you know what I really liked about it? The fact that he used the, the phrase survival of the fittest, and I don't think that's a world we want to live in, which is uh, kind of apropos for this episode <laughs> that we're about to recap. That we are. Okay. Well, anyways, thank you, Chuck, for sending those in. If you want to send in your favorite scene, record it and send it in, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com, or go to our website and hit the send voicemail button. Chuck, from all the way from planet Earth. I know. It's far. It's far, man. Planet Earth, home of Africa. (laughs) Home of the planet. 
That's right. Home of the Atlantic Ocean. Oh. <laughs> there are lots of interesting things on planet Earth, as far as yes. I know. Okay. Let's get into our recap of this week's episode, shall we? All right. Yep. This is season four, episode 15. It is called Us. So, we open with Glenn and the gang walking down the tracks. Now, Glenn and the gang includes, let's see if I can get this, Glenn, Tara, um, Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene, right? Right. Yep. I'm not forgetting anybody? I don't think so. All right. So, they're walking down the tracks. Eugene's talking to Tara about the zombie virus maybe having killed the dinosaurs. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is which is bizarre, but why not? Eugene's a little crazy. Well, I mean, zombie virus, uh, the, where it comes from in the different movies and uh, from what I know, is a virus from outer space. I think that's the one of the one of the uh, origins of the zombie virus. I think there was reference to it in Shaun of the Dead. I think there was reference to it in Dawn of the Dead, and a few other ones. So you know, the dinosaurs were killed. Uh, you know, the, one of the theories is they were they were killed by a giant meteor from space. Maybe that same meteor brought the zombie virus to the dinosaurs. And then the, uh, you know, recently a, a meteor has hit the earth causing a virus. Right. I think in certain properties, the zombie virus comes from space. I don't think that is a universal characteristic of these the zombie virus. And I don't know if that applies in The Walking Dead. Well, I would agree with that. All right. However, I mean, we don't know that it doesn't necessarily. Uh, Kirkman's joked about having aliens in the in the uh, comic anyways. Right. Um. And, you know, if if a meteor hit the uh, Earth however many millions of years ago and killed the dinosaurs, maybe there were zombie dinosaurs running around for a huh. while. I don't know. Zom- zombie dinosaurs. That's crazy. Yeah. There's there's definitely a movie idea in there somewhere <laughs> Yeah, for, for any would-be directors listening. Yeah. So as they're walking down the rails, um, Tara picks up a coin that is sitting on one of the train tracks. A flattened coin. A flattened coin, and Eugene says that they can make a battery out of it by doing a bunch copper. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And he then he goes on to talk about video games as they continue. Um, so now we cut to nighttime. Abraham and Tara. Abraham is talking to Tara, and they're talking about finding a vehicle and what happens then. And he notes that he hasn't seen Tara sleep yet. And uh, he goes on to say that he first thought Tara was in love with Glenn, But then he realized she was checking out Rosita all this time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, he he decides that Tara is, you know, is damaged because of something she did or something she didn't do. And she responds with, it was something I did. Right. Definitely something I did. Did you know that uh, Alana Masterson that uh, plays Tara is the uh, sister of Hyde? From that '70s show, yeah, um, Danny and, Masterson, right? Yeah, and the sister of the uh, one of the brothers on Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, I I don't know. I think they're they may be half siblings. Some of them, I, I'm they're not only Masterson. Well, that's fine. They have the same father and therefore the same last name. Usually, that's right. how it works. Anyways, well, uh, whatever. I just thought that was interesting. I read that the other day. Yeah. Um, no, I I did know that. My wife pointed that to me out the other day. It's, just uh, just recently as well, strangely Well, maybe uh, me and your wife read the same Reddit. I don't think she goes to Reddit. Maybe you, you and her are psychically linked somehow. That'd be weird. That'd be really unusual and a little disturbing. <laughs> um, 
Tara sort of finishes with, uh, you know, we, we have our reasons, we both have our missions, but what do you do when the mission's over? So I think Tara's feeling a little bit aimless and lost mm-hmm. right now. <clears throat> you know, after after the, the attack on the prison, which she decided at the last minute not to take part in, and then, you know, I think this is also probably why she's kind of latched on to Glenn so strongly and willing to f- follow him anywhere is that she doesn't really have anything else to do. So, you know, she feels like she needs a purpose. Right. Right. Um, but we cut over to them walking the tracks the next day and they come across one of Maggie's notes. And as Glenn reads it, he gets very excited and decides to just sprinting down, sprint down the tracks with a huge smile on his face. So we can assume this is the first time they've encountered one of Maggie's notes. That's right. He hasn't seen one before. Otherwise, he would have been running this whole time. Right. Um, Which, you know, I don't blame the guy. He's like, oh, my God, my wife is alive. She's going this way. I know where she's going. If I start running, I can catch up with her. (laughs) Right. All I have to do is run for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah, wearing uh, wearing the um, riot gear. (laughs) That's right. You know that stuff's probably not that light, but hey. No, what are you going to do? Glenn well, was just it's not meant for uh you know, it's not meant for going far and like hiking through the bush for 3 days and then having a uh you know, engaging in a in a riot. Uh you know, trying to counter a riot. It's <laughs> no, you're uh, right. it's meant for it's prison gear, right? Like you put it on and take 15 steps and get to the uh you know, the cell block <laughs> that has the riot and away you go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's it's meant for immediate riots. That's right. Not the ones that are going to happen a few days from now. Yeah, you don't want to march to a riot. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, anyways, Glenn's running down the tracks. He looks very happy to know that Maggie is, you know, or is alive, or at least was recently alive when she wrote that note. Right. We do our opening credits, and when we come back, we are with the wild dogs, and they're sleeping in the woods. A zombie comes up, and he gets his face stuck on some barbed wire that they've strung up. Very grossly. It was pretty awesome. He he rubbed his face along that barbed wire and just scraped the cheek right off. Yep. Uh, the guys all start waking up, and they notice that Daryl isn't there, but his stuff is, so he hasn't taken off on them. One thing I noticed here was that they all slept. Nobody was standing guard, keeping watch. They all just, they just put up the cans, you know, four feet from their area where they're sleeping, like just a very tight little area with the cans very closely, you know, arrayed around them, and then they all went with, to sleep. It's right. It, you're right. I mean, for, so far, almost everybody we've seen on this show keeps somebody awake on, on in shifts at night to watch for zombies. And sleep on tracks. Did you notice that when Glenn was sleeping on the tracks too? I did. Why do people sleep on tracks? You don't sleep on train tracks. I don't care if it is the zombie apocalypse and the end of times. You you do not sleep on train tracks. Yeah, but I it's it's just your pre-apocalypse you know, mentality seeping in there. I agree with you. I wouldn't sleep on the tracks even if I knew 100% there was no train coming by. What, but, if they ran a, what if they come across an airport? Would you sleep in the middle of the runway? I don't think so. Well, again, not today, no, but zombie apocalypse, there's going to be no planes flying around, so you could sleep wherever you want. Yeah, um, I, I just, I wouldn't do it. No, I know. It's it's hard to get over that preconception. Um, but I guess these guys felt comfortable because they put up all the barbed wire and um, and they knew a zombie would hit that first, and they would wake them up, or he'd scrape his cheek off, and they'd have time to wake up and take him out. Okay. Here's a question for you. Is it right. barbed wire or barbed wire? It's barbed wire. It's not like barbed wires, and it's, you know, wire made by barb. Well, I know that. 
It's got barbs on it. It's barbed wire. Barbed wire. So I've been saying it wrong for like 10 minutes now. Well, you know, it's not really that bad because there's razor wire is the correct term and it's not razored wire. So, you know, you, you'll be forgiven, I'm sure. All righty. You'll let it go is what you're saying? Well, I'm not even, you're, you asked me, I didn't even notice. Okay. All I'm not right, a stickler good. about these things. I'm just saying that I understand the term to be barbed wire, but then we have razor wire or concertine wire and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I think you're fine either way. Okay, good. I'll stop worrying about it. Yeah. Uh, we cut over to Rick, Carl, and Michonne. They're walking the train tracks. And Rick is a little bit ahead. He's really serious talking about food and water and how it's gotten a little cooler, which is good. But behind him, Michonne and Carl are having a rail walking competition. You've had those, right? Nope. I've never played on train tracks oh, because well. I come from the city. <laughs> right. And uh, either way... Playing on train tracks is probably dangerous. Well, yeah, but I, you know, I've done that. Okay, you know, walk on walk walk along the line and have a contest to see how far you can go compared to your companions. I mean, it sounds like something I would have done had I had easy access to train tracks as a kid, but I just right. didn't. So, uh, Michonne and Carl are doing this, and Carl eventually wins by because Michonne falls off, so she owes him some sort of uh, chocolate bar or granola bar that she's got yep. in her bag. And he gives it to her, uh, she gives it to him, and he eats it, but he shares it with her. So, nice Carl. That's nice. They're having a grand old time, the three of these. They, they are. Rick even comes around, and he smiles, and he sort of realizes that these two have become close. I think that makes him happy. And, uh, you know, I guess nothing bad's happened to them in a while, so they're just having a lighthearted moment here. Yep. We cut over to Daryl. He's hunting in the woods, and just as he's, as he's about to bolt a rabbit... One of the wild dogs, who is called Len, he hits it too with his composite bow. Right. So they argue about who has claimed the rabbit. Daryl refuses to give it to him. And uh, Len has some not-so-nice things to say about the piece of tail that Daryl just lost. Right. He's just speculating on why Daryl's so upset. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, but this doesn't sit so well with Daryl. And he goes to pull his knife... But just then, Joe arrives. Joe is the right. leader of the wild dogs. And he stops him. And Joe goes on to explain the claiming rules that this group of merry men have. Right. In that, in this world, you, uh, you know, going it alone isn't an option, he says, but it's still survival of the fittest. So... Which is a callback got... to the uh, the Glenn speech, or not the Glenn speech, the, uh, the Dale speech. It's like, you don't want to live in a world where it's survival of the fittest, do you? Right. And here we are living in a world where it's survival of the fittest in this particular group anyway. You're absolutely right. And <laughs> uh, uh, and, and with that in mind, if you want something, you have to claim it. And that's all you have to do. You have to say, this is mine, I'm, and no one else can take it from you. Right. So, you know, they basically what they're doing is they've formalized the, the rules of dibs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, invented by Sir Walter Dibs in 1843. Good. I'm glad you uh, are up on your uh, dib <laughs> history. Right. Um, so Daryl is reluctant to go along with these rules because this is the first time he's encountered them and he's not really totally feeling a part of this group yet at this point. You know, he's, I think he's still a little bit wary. Um, Len decides he wants to punish Daryl for his violation, but Joe says no, because how is he supposed to follow a rule he didn't even know about? And then he splits the rabbit in half and gives them each a half. Yes. Which makes sense. There's a Bible thing in there, right? What was it? Uh, I forget. Do you know your Bible stories? No. No, I do not. 
Where um, uh, Solomon, there was something about a baby saying, it was my baby, no, it's my baby here, I'll just cut the baby in half. Right. And then it's uh, who's the real, well, it's 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 that old, I don't know if it's exactly the same in the Bible, this story, but it's that old story, uh, who's the real sort of owner of this right. this thing, right? When when someone says, I'll cut it in half, and you both have half, the real owner will back down and say, no, I wish, I do not want to see the thing destroyed, so you can have it. Right. Well, whereas he just cuts the rabbit in half, nobody has any real say over it, so he doesn't care who owns it, it's just everybody gets a half a rabbit. Right. This is the resolution to the current problem, basically. Right. We go back to Glenn and the gang, and they come to a tower by the tracks. Now, do you have any concept of what this tower is for? Is it it's some sort for, of railway tower? It's for washing trains. Oh, really? I think so. So a train pulls up underneath it, they can hose off the top and stuff like that? Uh, I think it, it house, houses, you know, like the, the big water tanks they used to have? This is a kind of, I think it's a more modern version of that, where this uh, there was like a water tower up there, and they would use it to wash the trains. So that's, you know, that's, you know the, the initial thought that popped into my head, and I don't really have any reason to think it's, something else other than maybe there's a, a structure or two that we don't see that this might relate to. Like uh, if there's grain silos around there, this might be a grain car filling thing. Oh, I see. Or it might be part of a bridge. We don't see the bridge. Uh, it might be part of an old bridge. Didn't look like a bridge to me, but I could see it being a, a device for filling something into the top of a train car. Yeah. You know, it's like an elevator of some kind or a pump of some kind to bring stuff to the top, and then it comes back down in inside a train car. Interesting. Um, I just think that if we ever go to Georgia again, I think we should go seek out that location because I want to go see it in real life. Yeah, there's a there's a year on it. It's 1926, so it's old, and well, you know, relatively North America old, right? Uh, so I don't know. Well, anyways, that's, I, that's, I just, that's it. I just 1926. All right, I wasn't sure what it is, but if anyone knows, let us know. Uh, they come to it anyways. Abraham wants to stop and rest. He says it's the in their best interest for them to rest, and uh, especially since they want to keep Eugene alive and they haven't slept much lately. Right now, Glenn wants to continue on, but as they're talking about it, a zombie falls from the top of the tower and just kind of splats into the ground, which was yep. kind of awesome. I thought. It was a very splatty zombie. It was. and But as Tara gets sort of pushed out of the way, she gets knocked down and hurts her knee. I think it's mm-hmm. her knee anyways. I think so too, yeah. Um, Glenn wants to go on though, and he says, I'll, you know, I'll make you a deal. I'll give Eugene the riot gear so he's safer. And uh, Abraham continues, or agrees, and they continue. Right. Because you don't want to run in that riot gear all the time anyway. No, Glenn was probably happy to get it off, to be honest. It's hot. Yeah. He's tired. And uh, he can he can probably move faster without it on. Yeah, and there's very few riots around here. There are. Now, I don't know how one size fits all that kind of riot gear is, but it didn't seem to fit Eugene as well as it fit Glenn. <laughs> well, I doubt it's one size fits all. Right, so Eugene had to squeeze into that stuff, but I guess it would offer some protection from... Better than nothing. And there's no uh, bicycle tubes kicking around to make yourself a bicycle tube armor. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. So better than nothing. Uh, We go back to the wild dogs. They're on the tracks. Joe is asking Daryl when he's going to leave them. And uh, he he tells him that, you know, even though we aren't that friendly, uh, you should stay with us. And Joe goes on to explain the rules about claiming stuff, about not lying. And if you steal something, you take a beating. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> and if you break the rules, you take a beating. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the, you know, the you know, the general punishment is you take a beating. If you look at somebody funny, you take a beating. If you turn around, you take a beating. Well, don't turn around. No, obviously not. Um, so they're they're chatting and as they're doing this, the other guys kill a zombie really quite effectively, I thought. Yep. And they come to a building and decide to take shelter there. And just before, you know, we go to commercial, Joe relates what I thought was a really good analogy about cats. He said, there's nothing sadder than an outdoor cat who thinks he's an indoor cat. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe says that he's a cat person, so I'm actually inclined to call these people the wild cats now instead of the uh, the wild dogs. Are they now officially the wild cats? Well, I don't know. I'm undecided because wild cat is, uh, yeah... It depends on whether they're more of a pack of dogs or whether just a bunch of individuals that are hanging out together. Because cats don't really travel in packs, but they do get together to hang out, right? Fight. Yes, they do. They're uh, they're a lot more um, liable to fight when they're in a group than dogs will, because dogs will form a pack, right? Right, and they'll uh, they'll you know establish an alpha male and then. I'm not sure. So it, it's it's kind of up in the air. I don't know whether they're uh, wild cats or wild dogs or wild hogs or wild horses or, you know, why wild don't, style. <laughs> wild style. Why don't you think about it for the rest of this recap? And by the end, let us know if they're wild dogs or wild cats. Okay. Well, see you later. <laughs> you got to stay here while you do it. Oh, okay. Um, the analogy that Joe makes, though, I think was was good. He was basically saying this about... Daryl, you know, uh, who is clearly an outdoor cat, implying that he's a little rougher, he's got some street smarts, he's a little bit, you know, got a wild edge to him, bit of a dick, but he's trying to be an indoor cat, which don't have cats, indoor cats don't have the uh, tools necessary always to survive outside on their own. And that I can attest to because if my cats, I have two cats and they're indoor cats, if they ever got out and had to fend for themselves, they would probably kill themselves within an hour. Exactly. And that, I mean, that kind of, uh, that, that well, not that applies to Daryl, but Daryl is clearly an outdoor cat who's pretending to be an indoor cat, pretending right. to be all warm and cozy and fuzzy and soft. Does that mean Beth is an indoor cat? Beth, I think, is an indoor cat, but you she's know what? Indoor cat? She's what? learning from the outdoor cat uh, to survive, I think. Right, because, you know, an indoor cat really shouldn't build burn down the building that they're in. Uh, no, you're right. An indoor cat would want to stay in that building no matter what. Yeah, my cats would do that, too, if I left them to their own devices. Burn down They'd the house? They'd end up burning down the house, yeah. <laughs> they really would. They really are dumb. Your cats sound dangerous, man. <clears throat> they're cute, though. They are cute. Okay, we come to a commercial, and we uh, after that, there's Glenn and the gang. They're going down uh, the train, and they come to a tunnel opening. A yeah. train tunnel opening, where they find another message from Maggie. So Glenn knows that Maggie went through the tunnel. And inside the tunnel, they can hear zombie noises coming out. Yeah. Um, Abraham decides that his primary responsibility is to keep Eugene safe. So he says, we cannot go into this tunnel because I don't know what's in there and you can clearly hear the zombies. Um, so at this point he says, now we have to part ways. So Eugene, Rosita and Abraham leave one way and Tara agrees to go with Glenn through the tunnel. Right. Possibly... I mean, I know he's trying to catch up with Maggie. I know he doesn't want to waste any time. But this is 
possibly one of the worst decisions he could make, I would think. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, there's a number of bad things going on here. One, Tara is uh, hobbled, right? She's limping. She's not very agile at all. And so they want to go into an enclosed space, just the two of them, to be able to go faster. It's really a dumb idea. You forgot dark, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, dark and, you know, zombie sounds. You know, do you think that they're, they're zombies are off in a side tunnel that uh, is completely uh, blocked off from the main train tunnel? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Train tunnels really don't have side tunnels. They're mostly just, you know, train tunnels. Right. So uh, they're going into a pack of zombies uh, in an enclosed, dark area. Willfully doing this, too. You know, it's not like they're being forced in there somehow. Um, but Abraham gives Glenn some food and a flashlight, so at least they will have a light that they can use as they move forward. Yeah. Here's a couple of cans and a flashlight. And a flashlight, you know. There's no way you could do that in the pitch black. I mean, I'm glad he gave him that flashlight, because if you went in there absolutely in the dark, there is no way you would come out alive, considering there were zombies in there. There's well, no, no way. You can't see. Yeah. Right? Because it's dark, and then you don't have a flashlight. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that they handed them the flashlight. It made it at least within the realm of possibility for them to go in there, see the zombies, and escape somehow. But we'll, you know, we'll get into how it all plays out. Now, basically, everybody hugs at this point, which seemed awfully friendly for having traveled together for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And uh, Glenn and Tara go one way. Everybody else goes the other way back to find a road and a car. Right. Inside the tunnel now, Tara is telling Glenn about watching her sister and niece die, but she says it wasn't as bad as watching the governor cut Herschel's head off. Right. I guess that's just more shocking and upsetting, I suppose. Well, I don't... Yeah, I can't imagine watching somebody be beheaded, but then again, I can't imagine you know, having family members eaten by zombies either. So I, I'm, I think at, at this point, regardless of uh, how you got here, everybody's uh, sufficiently incredibly traumatized. Right. And she says that that was the moment that she knew that she made a mistake by following the governor. <laughs> right. <laughs> when he cut a guy's head off with a sword, as she that said. That guy just cut that other guy's head off. I don't like that guy. Nope. Not going to follow him anymore. Yeah. We go over to the wild dogs. Right. And they are entering the building. No zombies, but they find a bunch of cars. Right. And somebody says, nobody's here. They ain't been here for a long time. But Joe says, we're getting closer. Now, we don't really know what he means, I don't think, at this point. No, we don't. Um, but that's what he said. And they all start claiming cars. But of course... Daryl's still not quite on board with the claiming rules, and so he decides to just lie down on the floor. He's going to claim the floor, mm -hmm. that part of the floor. I'm going to claim this Daryl-shaped you know, Daryl section of the floor. Maybe a couple meters squared right here, and this will be yep. mine. Um, back to Glenn and Tara. They come to a section of the tunnel that has been caved in, and there's a bunch of walkers stuck in the debris. So right. these walkers are not as much of a threat as if there was just a big crowd of them standing around in the tunnel. Yeah, but you're now in a, uh, a known unstable tunnel, right? Because you know this thing just collapsed, or didn't. they don't know that quite yet, but it collapsed, so therefore it's unstable. For sure. Let's keep going. The other thing is they're at basically a blockage in the tunnel that's full of zombies, 
with only one way out that could very well be filling up with zombies right now for all they know. Yeah, I doubt that. Well, you know, you never know, though. I mean, zombies can stumble out anywhere all of a sudden. Yeah, that's true. So Glenn starts looking for Walker Maggie. He starts looking through the debris to see if Maggie's stuck in there some somehow. Right. And he starts stabbing a few in the head. They climb to the top of the rubble, and on the other side of all the debris, they find a whole bunch of walkers on the other side, really too many to easily get past. Right. And these ones are not stuck in debris. They are just milling around there, um, you know, waiting for something to eat. If only Glenn were Spider-Man, he would just be able to crawl along the sides of the roof of the tunnel and uh, get get through there, leaving Tara behind completely, because Spider-Man does that. No, if he were Spider-Man, he'd be able to carry her. He'd be able to tie those zombies up in a web. Boy, being Spider-Man in the zombie apocalypse would be really handy. Yeah, because he could spin a web any size. And in in any shape, you can shoot web balls. I mean, you, um, you know, you make your own uh, web juice. What do they? What does Spider Man call it? Web juice. Web web fluid. I don't know. If, oh, I forget what he calls it. Web. They just spin a web. I think it's just called a web, isn't it? I don't think it's called web juice. No, no, or no. Web fluid. I think it is. I think it is web fluid or something like that in the original Spider Man comics. Anyways, I reject um, that. No, it's true, man. That's so. It's too bad. I'm rejecting it. All right. Well. Anyways, being Spider-Man would be really handy. Yes, it would. But he's not. So he. Uh, so what happens? We come back from commercial, and Glenn does not see Maggie, so he assumes she's made it through. Right. Um, and he insists on coming down and somehow pushing through all those zombies that are there. Again, I mean, he's he's single-minded in his focus to get through this way, and I don't know, man. He's not really thinking. No, and it's just dumb. Like, it, it's a dumb thing to do, Glenn. Does good, does make for some good drama, though, and good excitement yeah. in the episode. Well, it's just he's gone from, he's gone into a situation that is completely ridiculous uh, with inadequate tools into a, a dangerous enclosed situation, uh, runs across uh, a blockage, you know, an immov- immovable object, you know, counters it, climbs over it, finds a horde of zombies, and still wants to, continue it's like dude turn around yeah it really would make the most sense to turn around at this point although at this he's so far in now he's like i cannot waste that time i have to catch up with her no matter what even if it kills me but what's the point then okay well what okay what's the rush anyway like he knows where she's going right she's gonna stay there until he you know gives a reasonable chance for him to get there so relax just you know, slow is safe and safe is fast or something like that. How does that go? Uh, yeah, he says, um, Abraham earlier on, when they're at that uh, mysterious train tower, he says, uh, tired is, oh crap. Yeah, it's something about tired is unsafe and unsafe is dead. I, it's it's not that, but something. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was it either. <laughs> oh, I heard that on Modern Family. It was... <laughs> It was a modern family joke. From Wrong show. His name? From Phil, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, bottom line is Glenn should turn around. Yeah, it's a it's an untenable situation. Mm. Get the hell out of there. So, but he doesn't. And we cut back to Abraham and the gang, and they find some cars. They have now found a couple of cars in the road. They kill the zombies inside, and they get in a minivan to drive away. And written on the minivan's mirror, uh, not mirror, windshield in the dirt is, let mama be. Yeah. I guess... Let Mama be a zombie in that minivan. 
Yeah, because uh, she's in there and she's trapped and she's not hurting anyone and she's not getting hurt. She just happens to be a zombie. So if you wouldn't mind, would you just leave her be? Leave her but, be. Yeah, uh, you know he didn't see the sign until after he dispatched Mama. He did. Now I like the way he killed her. He he got her stuck in the sliding minivan door, stabbed yep. her in the head, and then did you see he like ragdolled that zombie out of that car? He just grabbed it and sort of flung it onto the road beside the van. I did see that, and I was wondering about the uh, the interaction between the actor and I assume a stunt woman, because I I don't think they would just subject that you know. Um, an extra to that kind of punishment. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, just the production of that, you know, having a conversation. Yes, you can just drag me out of the car and throw me, you know, willy-nilly. I'll be fine. Yeah. I promise. I'm sure they probably used a stunt person for the zombie. Yes. And then just threw her around, unless it was a dummy. But it didn't look like a dummy. It looked like no, a No, I think it looked like an actual human being. That's takes some talent, I say. Yeah. Um, Rosita and Eugene are now driving while uh, Abraham sleeps in the back, and they're arguing about navigating. No, they haven't left yet. They're arguing about navigating, right? Right, yep. And Rosita now references Thompson, seeming to indicate that Eugene screwed something up in the past and got somebody killed. Right. Don't know what's going on there, but she ultimately lets him be the navigator, so he'll be reading the map. We go back to our tunnel. Glenn distracts the zombies with the flashlight, yep. and they try to climb over and sneak past. So the zombies are like cats. They're looking at the flashlight on the wall going, ooh, what's that? Right. And as they're climbing down, Tara falls, of course, and gets stuck, and Glenn is struggling to get her free. As soon as that boulder fell on her leg, my first thought was, oh, my God, they don't have 127 hours to cut her leg off and get out of here. <laughs> they do not. That no. flashlight is not going to last that long. I don't even know if they have a multi-tool to be able to cut her leg off. He'd have to chew it <laughs> off. Yuck. That would not be nice. Yeah. But Glenn's struggling. We go to commercial, and when we come back, now Abraham is sleeping in the car. Eugene and Rosita are still kind of arguing about where to go. She's driving. He's navigating. And after a minute, he says to stop the van. And they stop right on some train tracks. Oh, convenient. Convenient. And she realizes they are now at the other end of the train tunnel. And Eugene says he's there so that, uh, you know, if he timed it right, they can pick up Glenn and Tara as they come out, of the, come out of the other end. Right. And she starts going on about, you know, how you're the most important person. We got to get you there to save the world. And he said, look, after I save the world, I still have to live with myself. Right. This is probably the most down-to-earth, smartest thing that Eugene has said on this show. Well, I don't know. He said some pretty smart things. I, okay, I, I mean, really like Eugene's character. I think he's. Uh, I think he's a lot of fun. I mean, most human. Like up until now, he seemed like a real sort of social outcast, but now suddenly he cares for other people, and you know he may he may be able to save the world, but if he does that, he still needs to be able to live with himself, knowing that he's a good human being. Yeah, and we haven't really seen that side of him now. Up until now, I think it's just been him being a weirdo. <laughs> Really has right, so yeah, I like that they threw this in. Uh, um, Abraham wakes up when he uh, folds the seat back on him, which I thought was funny, and yeah. they're all kind of arguing about stopping. And Eugene sees something come out of the tunnel and goes, "Guys, look! Oh my God, look at that!" Yeah, and we cut <clears> away back to the wild dogs. Um, they're still in their little uh, building with all the cars there. 
Len, he accuses Daryl of stealing his half of the rabbit. And of course, Daryl denies it. Yep. Joe comes over and empties Daryl's bag and, uh-oh, finds the rabbit. Oh my God, the front half of the rabbit's in Daryl's bag. It is. So did Daryl steal it? Len, uh, he, he, he says, uh, Len planted it there. Joe asks him if he did. Len says, no, I wouldn't do that. And uh, then Joe punches out Len and tells the rest of the guys to teach him a lesson. Right. And as it turns out, Joe saw Len plant the rabbit in Daryl's bag just so, you know, I guess Len really wants to get back at Daryl and uh, give him a beatdown. It's time for a beatdown. It is, but it backfires on him. So now Len is getting the beatdown for lying. He broke the rules. Alrighty, we go back to Glenn. He's still trying to free Tara. And after a minute, she tells him to go on without uh, without her. But of course, Glenn refuses to leave her. He will not leave her there. She is that important to him. For some reason. For some reason, exactly. Uh, the zombies start to come at them, and Glenn decides there's got to be a way, so he starts shooting them down, but very soon runs out of ammo. There are still a bunch of zombies. But just then, just then, Jason, luckily... A bunch of headlights pull up in the tunnel, and six figures get out of the cars and shoot down all the zombies. You know how loud that would be in there with uh, six people firing off firearms in an enclosed space? In the, well, in the darkness doesn't in- enhance the loudness, but uh, yes, it would be very, very loud. It would be incredibly, uncomfortably loud. Deafening, actually. Yeah. They'd all have ringing in their ears for a while. Nobody would be able to hear but they managed to shoot all the zombies without shooting Glenn or Tara, which is good. Which is nice. Yeah. yeah, they were off to one side, so it was easy. All the zombies were on one side. They were off to the other side, so it was fine. Eh, still, it's, I mean, I know they got the headlights on and stuff, but still. Um, as they After they mow down all the zombies, Glenn gets up, and who steps forward? Maggie. Maggie and Glenn are reunited once again. It's It's... Quite nice. I'm glad to see they're back together. They hug, they cry, they kiss. Everything is good in their life again. So he's caught up to her. He's got her. So all the timeline speculation that we had in, uh, you know, we talked about in previous episodes where, uh, you know, Glenn is actually dead. And this is the story of how Glenn gets to that point where he's dead. That's all out the window. Completely out the window. I didn't believe it anyway, though. Okay. Good for you. (laughs) All right. Um... I'm glad they're back together, though. I I think it, it's better this way than if she just gets to Terminus and then he arrives there and they have their little reunion there. I think this was, this was I don't know, more exciting, more fun anyways. Right. After a commercial break, um, the group is spending the night in the tunnel and Glenn introduces Maggie to Tara. And he says he met her on the road and he couldn't have made it here without her. So Maggie hugs and thanks Tara. Right. So they've been back together for like a few hours and he's already lied to her. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I don't 100% blame the guy. I mean, Tara was one of the people with the governor who cut Herschel's head off. Maggie might not have taken so well to her if she had known that. So Glenn is just trying to protect, you know, her feelings a little bit, but also, I guess, stick up for Tara because she was helpful in Glenn's mission to get back to Maggie. But you don't want to lie to your wife. Well, what's the point of having a wife or a long-term girlfriend if you can't lie to them constantly? <laughs> Is that and your at every opportunity? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Well, 
I guess Glenn shares that feeling with you. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, when you when you when you haven't seen your wife for a while, and you get uh, you get back together and you reunite after a while, and you've got another girl in tow, what do you do? You lie about that other girl. Right. You don't say, "Look, she was a survivor. Um, she was stuck in the prison. She's she may have been a bad." You know, she may have been part of the enemy for a while, but she made a mistake. She's still a living human being. I helped her, and then she helped me. You don't right. say that. You say, no, I found her, and she helped me get here. You know, I was very lonely on the road, and she was very, very helpful uh, until we you know, we got back together. But luckily, she likes girls, so. Oh, yeah, and she's a lesbian. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know why I lied, but I guess, you know, I and that really pissed me off when I was younger. It wasn't so much that uh, that people would lie. It was that people would lie just for convenience sake. Like, it wasn't even a big lie. It was just because it was easier to lie than to explain the truth when it didn't really matter ultimately which one, uh, you know, the truth was fine. It just took too long to explain. And that, that kind of thing really has always annoyed me. And it annoyed me here that, you know, there's no real reason to lie other than I need a story that is short. I need four-word story rather than 15-word story. Uh, so here's the lie. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess this will come up at some point again down the road. The truth will come out and uh, we'll have to deal with it then, I suppose. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know. It's it's like that you are all infected when Jenner told Rick, and it told it. Then it took him a whole season to let everyone else know. Right. Um. It's one of those things that is going to hang over the audience for a long, long time until we all sort of forget about it, and then it's going to come up again and be like, "Oh yeah, we got to deal with this now." Yeah, I'm not really sure. You think you know? This is. I think this is the kind of thing that ultimately will get dropped. Really, it'll just go away. I think it'll just go away. I don't think it'll become a plot point at, at any point. I think it may come up again, but I don't think it, any kind of uh, situation is going to arise out of it. Okay. Uh, maybe they'll deal with it, like, next week. I don't know. Maybe it'll be come and gone already. Who knows? Right. Anyways, the gang is now all talking about going to D.C. together. Eugene here mentions that they lost eight people on their way from Texas. Wow. So we're getting little bits and pieces of, of sort of their backstory. And Eugene thinks that they're only a day away from Terminus, so they might as well go there first, check it out, maybe get some rest, and then move on. Sasha and Bob, of course, are with them because they were with Maggie, and they say that they will go to D.C. with them to help them save the world, but they want to see Terminus first as well, and ultimately Abraham agrees. Right. So now we're all on the road to Terminus. Finally. Finally. We see Maggie and Glenn. They're resting. She explains how she brought the ceiling down on the zombies, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, she just fired up into the air. I, I, uh, what was she saying? I was just trying to think of what you would do in this situation. Right. And, and what's that? A random act of violence? Well, <laughs> just start firing off into the air and, you know, hope for Days Ex Machina. I, I guess. I mean, she had to somehow think that destabilizing the ceiling of the tunnel like that would make it collapse on itself, but it's a uh, dangerous game to play because you don't know how much of that is going to collapse, and you're in the tunnel too. I can d- Okay, do you honestly think that if you walked into a, uh, a train tunnel or even a subway tunnel with a handgun and fired six shots into the ceiling that the whole thing would come collapsing down? No, of course not. No. So 
that's got to be one hell of an unstable tr- train tunnel to begin with. Yes. Now, it could have been in a state of disrepair, but you're right. It would have to have been just about to fall down anyways, probably. Right. In that a couple of, uh, you know, five or six shots into it would, would take it down, so. Now, now, the gardener, if you did that at the gardener downtown, that <laughs> might come down on you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the raised highway across the the lakeshore in Toronto, that thing would take a couple shots and the whole thing would collapse. It's such a piece yeah, of it's, junk. <laughs> it's pretty unstable. It falls, there's, just for the people that don't live in Toronto, pieces fall off that thing all the time. Yeah. Don't stand underneath it. Good, yeah. good times. Um, it might be fixed up, but have you heard of our mayor? <laughs> yeah, you might you might know our mayor from uh, recent news articles about uh, smoking crack. <laughs> Rob Ford, you may remember him from crack smoking videos, <laughs> just all kinds of stupid stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, what do we got here? We um, so the picture of Maggie sleeping falls out of Glenn's bag, and she picks it up, and she goes to burn it, but Glenn protests. And uh, she says, I don't need a picture. You won't need a picture of me anymore ever again. So they burn it. So you know, when it, this show seems to be like, uh, uh, when in doubt, burn it kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, community. you're right. So if, you know, if you're bored, let's burn a house down. Yeah, I don't like this picture. Let's burn it down. Okay, first of all, they have a fire going on in an enclosed space. And I didn't much appreciate that either because that's, that's, a, that's a recipe for carbon monoxide poisoning. Maybe the um, the ceiling had collapsed enough in that there was space for the smoke to escape. Right, but not light to come in. <clears throat> uh, it was nighttime. How do you know? Well, I don't know. I just assumed... It was light out when everybody entered that tunnel. Yeah, it was, I guess. But we, we have to assume a little bit of time has passed as they've sort of cleaned things up and everybody's introduced each other. I don't know that it was nighttime, but I'm just saying. I'm so, where did they get the wood? They uh, carried it in from outside. From outside the tunnel. They have cars, man. They drove out, got some wood, brought it back. And then used so, the cars to barricade the entrance so they knew they were safe. Okay. Well, I'm just, you know, why not like hang out by the entrance of the tunnel so that you could get the hell out of there if you needed to, instead of going as deep into the tunnel as you could possibly go right up against a blockage that you know uh, <laughs> is dangerous because it collapsed on uh, on Terra. Oh, suspension of disbelief. I don't okay. know. Okay, yeah, it's just it's a weird situation. I don't uh, I don't think that they should hang out in that spot for the night. That seems like a an unreasonably unsafe place to go. It, this is one of those scenes that has all kinds of logistical problems with it, but I didn't mind it when I was watching it. Right. And I don't want to analyze it too much because then it'll start to bother me, but overall, I thought it was kind of a cool scene, at least a little bit different, and uh, it was fun to watch, I thought. Okay. I mean, I don't mean just them sitting around talking around the fire. I mean, the whole idea of a collapsed section of a tunnel with zombies stuck in it and, you know, people showing up and shooting them all down. I mean, all that, I think, worked pretty well. But you're right. There are a lot of issues with setting up camp in the middle of a tunnel right by a collapsed section like that. Right. With no light. And Um, lots of dead zombies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we go over to Daryl. He's waking up, and they go outside of the building, and they find Len out there, dead. With an arrow through his skull. Oh, I didn't notice that. So they beat Len to death and then put an arrow through his skull. That's right. Oh, well. And left the arrow in his skull. Yeah, they didn't pick it up. Those guys aren't so smart after all. No. Now, Daryl goes to cover him with a sheet, but then changes his mind and doesn't bother. (laughs) He was a dick. 
I guess so. He doesn't deserve to be covered. He's now walking with Joe through a field. Joe offers him some booze, and Daryl takes it. Yep. And he says something like, I haven't been drunk first thing in the morning since before all this uh, went, before it all fell apart. Lit at dawn, he said. I haven't been lit at dawn since before this all happened. And Joe seems to think that not really that much has changed. (laughs) No, things are coming together. They're not falling apart. Yeah, the dead are walking around, but for guys like us, I mean, what's the difference, really? They go along, they come to a terminus sign, and Joe says, Sanctuary for all, you know, it's a lie. Do you really think they're going to welcome guys like us with open arms? Right. And uh, Joe goes on to tell Daryl about the house and how the guy in there strangled one of their guys and left him there to turn and attack them. And we, of course, know that that was Rick's house, and that was Rick. So as, you know, as they're walking away, we see the candy bar wrapper on the tracks. So we know that Carl and Michonne are a little bit ahead of them. Right. But they pass the same place. And now we have Daryl kind of identifying with these guys because at this moment, Daryl claims something. So he's now buying into their rules. Yeah. It looked like he claimed a radish from the ground, which, hey. Yeah, I didn't know if whether it was a strawberry or a radish, but it turns out, I, I think it was a radish. I think so too. I mean, I guess... You know, I love radishes, so if you're going to eat something, might as well be a radish. You need vinegar, though, don't you, for radish? No, I just eat them raw. You just eat the radishes? Yeah. Not a, I just, I like radishes. Anyways, um, uh, so Daryl's buying into this group. He's sort of becoming one of them. And we know that this is, these guys will not really be very happy with Rick if they ever meet up. So now we have people on both sides, and something's going to give. And we also know that this is also, like The Walking Dead is also not going to play with timelines as far as Daryl and the wild dogs go. Because there was some speculation about the wild dogs with Daryl showing up at the house and then the situation with Rick happening. You're right. So we definitely know that that's not going to happen either. So basically the timeline has not been weird in any way throughout the second second half of the season. It's been straightforward. Yeah. Um, So... We go back to Glenn and the group. They get to Terminus. Mm-hmm. Here we are. It's a big building, lots of train tracks beside it. This is the end of the line or the beginning of the line. And uh, in the windows, or at least up on the wall, it spells out Terminus. Mm-hmm. So they walk up. Nobody's guarding the gate. <clears throat> they enter and they pass through another gate. And there's a sign that says, lower your weapons. You will be met. You have arrived at Terminus. Right. They keep going. They come around a corner. They see a bunch of, like, washing supplies. They see food growing, fruits and vegetables, I guess. And they continue. They approach a woman who's cooking something on a large grill. And as she hears them, she turns around and says, Hi, I'm Mary. Looks like you've been on the road for a while. Let's get you settled and make you a plate. Welcome to Terminus. The end. Yeah. So that's it. There we have the episode. So we have one, we have our first group of characters arriving at Terminus, not really knowing anything about it. And it kind of being a little bit of a strange type of place. It is a little weird. With Mostly, no locks on the gates, nobody guarding, and uh, all the plants and stuff outside. And they were growing sunflowers. Like, who the F in hell grows sunflowers in, in the apocalypse? Well, you can eat them. I mean, if you have sunflower seeds, you may as well grow them. You can eat the seeds and so on. 
But wouldn't you want to grow something a little more uh, substantial than sunflower seeds? Yeah, absolutely. But if you have sunflower seeds, you might as well grow them, right? But then, you know, I just I, I question it because it just looked like they were they they wouldn't didn't like to throw a bunch of sunflower seeds into a field and have them grow willy nilly. They were in like raised flower beds with like tended and tilled and loved soil, and they used that you know premium space for growing freaking sunflowers. Okay, I can I see your point. So. I can see your point. They they're spending too much effort on the sunflowers, is what you're saying. And, you know, and frankly, I've always been, you know, my whole life I've been kind of pissed off about sunflower seeds because they're not food in my mind. They're just the, the effort to, you know, food ratio just isn't there for me. It's not worth eating them. Uh, you're crazy. They're so good. And, and I mean, they're such a good snack. Like what about pistachios? Are they too much work for you too? It depends. But, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, if there's a bowl of pistachios, I might eat one or two, but I won't like, you know, buy a pistachio. That's nuts. <laughs> I've never purchased pistachios or sunflower seeds in my whole life. That's crazy. I buy them not all the time, but some once in a while. Anyways, um, if food doesn't just fall into your mouth, it's too much work to eat, I guess, eh? Well, you know, I'm willing to chew if I have to. <laughs> That's good if you have to. You're not just going to swallow things whole like a bird. Uh, all right. Well, yes, I thought Terminus was a little bit unusual because... You know, like you said, there's nobody outside. Every settlement or group we've seen so far has been very, you know, well locked down, basically. Yep. Guarded, weapons out, you know, assuming that everyone coming up to it is bad or has bad intentions. Terminus is totally the opposite. Everyone just walks in. Mary seems very friendly and, you know, welcome to Terminus. Here you are. Join our clan. I'm pretty sure that Terminus is guarded by ninjas. So you just can't see them? You can't see them. They're out and about. They followed this, this group in, this ragtag group. They decided that they were good people and let them in. Uh, they're roaming the countryside, making sure that the zombies don't get close enough to uh, you know, to warrant having uh, people on the walls. So they're just they're kind of roaming around, taking care of all the zombies before they get even close. Mm-hmm. And, and and vetting all the people as they come in rather than waiting until they get to the wall. Well, that's how you want to do it if you're a ninja. Stay out of sight. It's it's yeah, it's a big uh, it's a big group of ninjas, I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, Terminus um it's it's obviously too good to be true. You know, uh it what's going to happen? No one they're not just going to arrive here. They're going to move in. Everything's going to be great. Something is going to be off about this place. And I think having it be so openly friendly right out the right off the uh, right out of the gate like this yep um almost gives me more of a bad feeling right it's it's it almost gives you a more uneasy feeling thinking this just can't be right what are they going to get into here yeah you know i don't know we'll we will find out more next week i think and probably into season five i had a band like that once the only criteria for being in the band was wanting to be in the band after that, secondary only to that was, can you play an instrument? I'm sure it was a great band. It was a good band. We had a great time. I bet you did. <laughs> so, all right. Well, another episode here with very little Rick in it. He had, him and Michonne and Carl had one scene that was very short. I want to ask you about this. We haven't seen Rick in like three or four weeks now very much. And in right. eight episodes in this back half, he's only been in three of them if right. I'm not mistaken. And this one, he was only in it for a couple of minutes. Right. I really think that Scott Gimple doesn't see 
Rick and Carl as the primary characters in The Walking Dead, which would be sort of at odds with the comic. And kind of at odds with the TV show up until this point. So what do you think about this? Is this a good decision, bad decision, irrelevant? Or, you know, are you surprised to see Rick in so few episodes this season? I am not overly surprised. I think he's taking more of a ensemble cast kind of uh, look at it. But I still think that uh, Rick and Carl and Michonne are still primary characters, and they haven't reached Terminus yet, so uh, they might have a primary role in you know the next episode or the next season. But uh, no, I don't. I don't think it's it's necessarily pushing them to the background or anything like that. I just think it's more of an ensemble kind of uh, point of view, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I agree. I'm okay with it too. It's it's unusual for The Walking Dead anyways, and that's why it kind of jumps out so much. Um, but I'm okay with it too. I I think Rick and Carl and Michonne are just fine characters, but if we go a few episodes without seeing them or, or very much, we're seeing other things that are equally interesting, hopefully anyways, most of the time. Or maybe this just uh, in this point in the story, uh, their story is not all that interesting. There's right. no real conflict, you know. The three of them get along well. They're uh, they work well together. They're a you know a tight knit team with, and you know they're enjoying themselves. Obviously, they have chocolate bars, and they uh, they you know they're playing games along the road. Yeah. Uh, so there's no real conflict there. So why pay attention to them? Yeah. No. I. That's that's basically what it is. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just unusual, like I said. But I think we will get. Well, I know we're going to get more. Rick and everybody in the, in the season finale on Sunday and going into season five, I'd be surprised if they didn't become maybe not the focus again, but clearly, well, you know, a, a definitely a bigger part of the show. Once again, I think we just got a half season here where everybody scattered and they decided to focus on some of the other characters a little bit more. Now, you know, maybe, Maybe it was no different. They they were treated no differently than everybody else. I mean, we only saw Tyrese and those guys for a couple episodes. Daryl, I maybe had a little bit more screen time, but there were episodes without any Daryl in them as yep. well. So, you know, I think I'm probably just reacting to something that doesn't really exist in that we didn't have any less Rick and Carl than anybody else. It's just striking because usually we have so much of them. Right. Right. But we'll see. I think they'll be a bigger part of the show moving forward from here. Um, let's see. When Glenn and Maggie burned the picture of her, yep. To me, that was that was totally like an old police officer on his last day before retirement saying, "Oh, I can't wait to get out of here and spend my retirement with my family. It's going to be so great." You know, you just know something bad is going to happen. He's going to be shot. He's going to be killed. And right. he's not going to be able to <laughs> live up to that uh, or live out that happy life. So you think Glenn in the next episode is going to either die or say, I'm getting too old for this shit? I think Glenn or Maggie are not safe in this last episode. Maybe not the finale, but maybe early in season five. Although that feels like too much of a of a of a break in between that picture burning was like, you're never going to need this picture of me again. Uh, yeah, you will. Cause I'm about to be killed <laughs> off next week. So, right. Well, if I anybody's going to die, it's going to be Maggie then, right? I think it's going to be Maggie. Yeah. And didn't Kirkman say at one point, 
that somebody is okay slight spoiler for the comic coming up here everybody slight spoiler all i'm doing is well slight spoiling slight spoiling mentioning a character from the comic kirkman said that somebody on the tv show is going to die who is still alive in the comic well and i don't want to go i can't say anything now no you can't so i have a bad feeling about miss maggie and uh well, they, now you're spoiling the comic book, so shut up. Sorry. <laughs> they burned the photo. Come on. She's a she's a goner. Um, and then there's one other thing I want to talk about with this episode right. that actually really kind of bothered me, and I think they better remedy somehow in the season finale. Okay, what's that? And that is Daryl and his seeming lack of any concern for what happened to Beth. He... He was chasing her, or he was running down the road after that car. He met up with the wild dogs, and yes, it took him a little while to get used to them, but he immediately started traveling with them. They've been walking the rails for a couple of days, and he se- Daryl seems to have no concern whatsoever with what happened to Beth. How can he just join another group, leave on his merry way, and not at least stick around that area, hope to find her or hope to track her or find some clues or anything like that. Because clearly the wild dogs didn't take her, which, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, So why is Daryl so unconcerned with where Beth is? Why wouldn't he be out looking for her? Okay, I agree with your rant because I don't have an explanation for uh, his behavior. And it doesn't make a lot of sense other than, you know, maybe he's, Maybe he is like uh, he is like a wild dog that he he's an outdoor cat who's been pretending to be an indoor cat, and uh, once Beth reintroduced him to the uh, the lovely, you know, blissfulness of alcohol and house burning, uh, maybe he's now you know he just wants to live that life again. Yeah, but but he, he doesn't want to play by anybody's rules, <sighs> not even the rules of the wild dogs. Right, but I still think after all this time, you know, it's two years or whatever into the apocalypse, he's been with these people for months, you know, or years at this point, and I still think, you know, despite what he used to be like or what his true character is like, you know, he was bonding with Beth in those last two episodes. He was coming around a little bit, and that takes a long time to happen, and sure, maybe it doesn't take a long time to unhappen, right? People revert back to their old ways fairly quickly sometimes, but I'm sorry. I still think he wouldn't be like just leaving the scene and not even worrying about it. Now, I know he has no one to talk to about it, but I think they needed to show show us, as the viewer, they needed to show us him doing something to try to find her or worry about her or whatever. It just doesn't seem real to me that he'd be like, eh, let's just move on. You know, they could be, they're two days walking away now. He's not going back there to find her. She's gone. I, I was I was mostly being facetious. It, it really doesn't have, he doesn't have any motivation for not uh, trying to find Beth. I, I don't understand it either. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, Daryl is an evolved character now. He's, you know, he's conscious of his uh, of his friends and... Uh, you know, his responsibilities and he's completely shirking them. It doesn't make any sense. You know, unless he's being coerced somehow by these guys to stay with them, but it really doesn't seem like it because even in this episode, they talked about him leaving, right? Joe was like, well, are you just, you know, is there an us? And, and you know, at first Daryl says, there is no us. And he says, well, are you leaving right now? And Daryl says, no. So clearly there is. So yeah, I don't know. It 
it really bothered me. So I'm hoping the writers have something up their sleeve, and I'm hoping they explain this somehow. Um, and I really hope that Beth doesn't just show up at Terminus. If she's already there, she better be... Well, if she's already there, Daryl better have a good explanation for not going out of his way to try and find her. That's all I'm well, going to say. Maybe she's running Terminus now, and Daryl knows that because they're completely psychically linked. That fire just brought them, you know, psychically into the uh, into the same uh, mental state, and they now share an IQ. I really don't think that's it. No, probably not. They got to come up with something to explain this, and if they just let it go, you know, that's it. Or, you know, I'll be able to handle it if they get there and Daryl's like, hey, everybody, Beth got taken. We got to go out to find her. Like, Let's take a vehicle, we'll drive back there, and we'll see what we can do. That will, you know, that'll be sort of okay with me. I still don't think that, because Daryl doesn't really know where they're going, he doesn't know what Terminus is when she's when Beth is taken, so it's not like he has a long-term plan to go find everybody else and then come back and get her. He just seems to have no plan and no regard for her safety or anything, so. Maybe he's just trying to get these guys away from her. You know, he knows that these guys are probably... You know, would be really bad if they met up with Beth. So he's going along with them to make sure that they're a safe distance from where she is so that when he takes off and goes back, he knows that he's, they're not going to be on his trail or be around that neighborhood. Maybe, maybe, but he doesn't know what state Beth is in right now. So I don't know how he could. She could be in Arizona or New Jersey. Well, exactly. She could be anywhere, right? But... Maybe that's what he's thinking. He's like, there's no hope of me ever finding her. She was in a car. Like, is, she could be anywhere by now, so why even look? Is that, is that what you meant by state? Uh, did I? I don't know. Sure. You said you don't didn't know what state she's in. So I went <laughs> with Arizona or New Jersey. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yes. No, but is that what, that's not what you meant, though, right? Like, what do you mean by state? Uh, I don't know. I just... Um, uh, physical state. Like, she could be dead. She could be... Oh, I see. She she could be held captive. She could be very happy in her new life, right? She could be deleted. She could be inactive. She could be all kinds of different states. Exactly. Um, or she could be in one of many of the United States. Yes. <laughs> These United States. Anyways, I just hope they, they deal with that somehow in a satisfying way because I think it is a giant hole. But they've got to know this, and hopefully they've got something coming up to make right. good. Um. All right. I think that about covers this episode. I think it was a pretty good one myself. It was not bad. You know, I liked it. it. This one, along with the last one, last couple have been really good after maybe a few that were a little weaker. So I think they're building up for a really strong finale next week. I would give this a solid four one-eyed mutts out of five. It's a pretty good rating. Yeah. Um, I'd agree with that. Maybe a 4.1. One-eyed mutts out of five? Right. Pretty good. Well, you don't want to start, you know, splitting one-eyed mutts. Well, you into know. Into tenths. <laughs> into ten pieces. You can split a rabbit in half, but I don't know if you can split a... Well, you can split a one-eyed, you know, mutt in half, but it'd be hard, kind of hard to split it into an equal tenth. Right. All right. Well, I'll go with you in round to four then. Okay. It's a good one. Uh, all righty, Jason. Let's move on to Holy Crap. All right. Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty, everybody. It is time for Holy Crap. This first one, a lot of people sent this first one in, 
including Josh on the internet, James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Glenn on the internet, internet, who wrote, my holy crap, did you see that moment, was seeing Bub from Day of the Dead in the tunnel zombie horde. Nicotero giving a shout out to Romero in the first movie Nicotero worked on with him. So have you seen uh, uh, Day of the Dead, Jason? I don't think so. And if I did, I don't remember Bub. So Bub was a hero zombie in that, played by Howard Sherman. And uh, interestingly enough, Howard Sherman was at Walker Stalker Con Chicago and did a panel there talking about Bub. Awesome. And he was pretty interesting. Um, But I didn't notice Bub in this crowd of zombies. Nor did Uh, I. I guess if you don't know who he was, you wouldn't either. But I I didn't notice him. And frankly, the only reason he would have been on my radar at all is because I was at the panel at Walker Stalker Con. Right. Um, But it is. uh, They seem to be doing this a little bit more often these days, like throwing in kind of homages to other zombie properties. And that's I think that's all Nicotero, you know? Right. He's worked on almost everything there is out there so uh well he's the man really he really is the man yeah you know he wasn't traveling with uh with his giant at chicago like he did in atlanta (laughs) do you remember (laughs) well well they had matching scarves and that was nice yeah but the guy was a giant and he was a big guy big guy yeah the giant wasn't in chicago so if uh, i call him a giant it seems kind of derogatory and offensive to me but you know he's he's a big guy i don't think so i think he might have actually been a giant I don't know about that. All right, half fine. giant maybe. Maybe okay. just like a half hill giant or something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so we have an email from Katie in Hertfordshire, UK. Hey guys, my holy cro- holy crap moment was the wild dogs killing their own people. I just thought that they were going to give him a good beating. I didn't expect to see him dead. I was also quite shocked at Daryl's actions here. He looked like he was going to be respectful and cover the dead dog with a sheet, but then he decided not to. You think after he spent so much time with Beth and her good ways that he would be more respectful. He also left the arrow arrow behind. Quite disappointed, Dixon. Yeah, so all good points here showing that Daryl is very quickly reverting back to his former ways. Uh, yeah. But I still don't think it explains why he'd just leave Beth blown in the wind like that. No, not at all. Okay, Frank on the internet writes, Holy crap, did you see that the wild dogs really were just misunderstood? They are rough around the edges, but they follow a code. They killed off a really, really bad person, and they value truth and justice. Rick did them more harm than they would have done to him. They're even trying to avenge their buddy's death. Wow. It's not so simple anymore. So far, they have not really done anything unforgivable. Even Daryl's scuffle in the woods with Len was handled fairly given the confines of their law. Right. Now, do you remember the uh, uh, the argument over the bed in the in the house with uh, with Rick? I do. So, did someone call dibs or uh, was it claim? The funny thing about that is there was a guy sleeping in the bed already when the other right. guy came in and then choked him out for it. Did anybody say the word claim though? That I don't know. We'd have to go back because maybe the guy just went up and lied down in the bed which is, you know, all well and good. But if somebody comes in and goes, claim, then the bed's his because you didn't call dibs within, you know, earshot of someone else. As we all know, Sir Walter Dibbs in 1883, you know, dictated these rules that you, in order to call dibs, you have to have somebody here that you've called dibs. Exactly. It has to be witnessed. 
Right. It's like shotgun. You had if you're calling shotgun in a car, people would have to be within earshot so that they know you have called shotgun. Yeah, shotgun is is like dibs, but only with more specific rules. And uh, you know, you have to you have to be invisible. You have to see the car. You can't just call shotgun. Right. You know, like the next time we go on a road trip, I can't call shotgun right now. Right. You have right. to be in in. Uh... <laughs> Inside of the car, car. yeah, and shotgun rules don't apply. Like, say, uh, you, me, and your wife are going out to get in your car to go someplace. I can't call shotgun because, you know, the wife automatically gets shotgun, or if she's driving, you get shotgun, right? So there's there's other rules, whereas dibs is a little more kind of uh, a little more uh, vague because you can call dibs on anything. And I don't think there are any, uh, you know, spouse or significant other rules for dibs. No, I don't think so because there's no um, there's no connection between you as a couple and whatever is being claimed. Right, like shotgun would be. I'm always going to be driving, so my wife should always be riding shotgun. Right. <laughs> All right. Good to get this straight. Yeah. No, they're, they're, these these rules do exist. All right. So we have an email from Ken in Sacramento. Holy, my holy crap moment for the episode Us was when Glenn and Tara were parting company from Abraham, Eugene, and Rosita to go into the train tunnel. Abraham gave Glenn a large flashlight for the journey. While Rosita was giving Glenn a goodbye hug, that flashlight went from hanging hanging demurely at his side to being fully erect in front of him. It made me think of those old comedies where they pull away from an impending sex scene, then show a clip of the demolition of a smokestack backwards right before a train goes into a tunnel. Very Mel Brooks. Uh, Okay, so the flashlight went from hanging down to being fully erect. Ooh, a hug. (laughs) Uh, I didn't notice that, but I'm going to definitely go back and look for that because... It does sound hilarious. And then they went into a train tunnel. <laughs> You're right. And then they went <laughs> straight into the train tunnel. Perfect. Oh, it really is. The whole thing was very Mel Brooks, like Ken said. <laughs> um, if indeed the, <laughs> even if the flashlight didn't go up, they went into a train tunnel. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. Good oh, times. That's, that's funny. Ken, thank you for that one. That was awesome. Chuck in Chesapeake, Virginia says, my holy crap, did you see that for us was... When the world world has collapsed, ownership rights have come have devolved into calling dibs on something. I hope that if Daryl and the wild dogs come across a car, Daryl yells shotgun. I also thought it was funny that the leader of the wild dogs settled the rabbit agreement Solomon baby style, cut it in half. Jeez, I should have read this before the episode. There you go. So uh, references dibs, calling shotgun, and Solomon's baby. Awesome. Good stuff. All right, so we uh, next is a call from Vicky in Jersey. Oh, yay, here we go. This is my first time uh, putting in a message. So, long-time listener, first-time caller. Okay, um, my holy crap moment is uh, Eugene says, you're hot. Tara says, I like girls. Eugene says, I know. Kind of think there might be a relationship anyway. I don't know, just some thoughts. Um Really wish that uh, Eugene would kind of, you know, give us an idea of what his plan is to save the world. Uh, Or maybe he feels that everybody else is just too dumb to follow along with what he foresees. Um, I love uh, Eugene and, uh, what's his name, Um, redhead with the muscles, uh, Abraham. Uh, love those two. They're so quirky, and they're uh, 
the geeks and they're my kind of people and it's really really awesome to see people like that um, step in and uh, oh, it's just really fun love the uh, podcast thanks a lot guys and uh, signing off bye thanks Vicky so she uh, had a holy crap and then segued right into some feedback there but I'll allow it because I do want to talk about the point that she made <clears throat> about nobody talking to Eugene about what he actually knows, yeah. what his plan actually is, and what really is going on here. I've said in the past that this show is pretty good about people asking the right questions and providing information to each other as characters. But here's sort of an example of the opposite. It is. Now, imagine the dialogue uh, of you know meeting Eugene for the first time. This is Eugene. We're trying to, our entire life purpose is to get him to Washington, D.C. because he knows what caused the outbreak and knows how to fix it. What's the next question that's asked? What caused the outbreak and how do we fix it? Yes. So nobody's asked that question. No. Like not once. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe we should go to Terminus first then. You're right. Uh, it, it's It's ridiculous. Like. Oh, really? That's interesting. This whole thing that has been the central point of our lives for the last 18 months, uh, you have uh, the cause of and solution to this situation. Please tell me more. And it's not beer, as Homer yeah. Simpson would say. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Now, the only thing I can say that might explain it is that really, Glenn and, so Glenn and Tara are the ones that met up with these two or these three, and Glenn's single-minded in his focus on finding Tara. So even when someone says, I know what caused this and I can solve it, Glenn is like, I don't care. All I want to do is find Tara. So, you know, I may not even heard what you just said. All I care about, uh, sorry, Maggie, not Tara. All I care about is getting on the road and finding my wife. Okay, so the Stokey monster would have uh, this question. If I was him... I would ask this question. If I was Sasha, I would ask this question. If I was Tara, I would, I would ask this question. Yep. If I was Maggie, I would ask this question. The, all these people met Eugene, and nobody's asked this question. They could have easily explained this away by Eugene being a complete ass and saying, you wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. One little phrase uh, sure would make him slightly less likable, but at least would uh, you know, alleviate us from being annoyed at nobody's asking the question. You're absolutely right. They they totally should have put something like that in there, and I could live with that. I could live yeah. with that if so he just said, "Look, I'll tell you later. You wouldn't understand, or it's very scientific. You know, it would take too long to explain it right now. Anything like that would work." Or even some mumbo jumbo about you know just some kind of jerky answer uh, that gets way into weird jargon. That's fine too. Yeah, uh, it would it would turn it into a character flaw rather than a plot hole which is much preferable in my mind. Much, much better. Well, I have a feeling they're building up to something here. Maybe this will be a big reveal next week or in season five. Right. So they'll fill the plot hole by him being a jerk. I guess so. Which is fine. Yeah. That's fine. Who's next? You're next. Oh, Gemma from Bryn Mawr, Wales, UK. Gemma sent in four, but I chose this one. Uh, She says, Glenn and Maggie's reunion. Ah, although I do think the burning of the photograph was foreshadowing of some kind. Chris agrees. If you've been listening, you know I agree. (laughs) All right. uh, Next, we have Joe from Roanoke, Virginia. 
My holy crap, did you see that was when the group walked up to Terminus and all the gates were unchained. There was no security and clearly no one cares about the walkers traveling into their setup. Also, the group seemed extremely relaxed as they walked in. They seemed very trusting after being on the road for days. Yeah, that's the the, the thing I didn't realize at first, too. That, yes, Glenn and everybody had their guns up when they were first going through. But then they see a sign that says, lower your weapons, we'll come and meet you. And they just do it. And they just walk in all relaxed and they're not concerned at all. You know, they're like, this is the first time they've encountered something that's not locked down tight with guys with big weapons guarding it. And they're like, oh, this is refreshing. And they just go in. I mean, I don't know. That's the genius of Terminus. Terminus is so disarming by, uh, you know, not having locked gates, not having armed guards, not having people patrolling the walls of the grounds. You just kind of walk in and the sign says, you know, chill, just chill. Everything's cool. You can lower your weapons. No one's here to harm you. Just come on in. And after a while, they just kind of do. I guess, but... I'm thinking if it were me, maybe I'd hang back for 12 hours, just observe the place, see if anybody else comes and goes. I mean, I know they're anxious to get in there because they can probably smell the cooking, but uh, I, I I, just think, you know, you come up to a, a place like this that seems so friendly, you're going to be a little wary of it. I don't know. All I can think of is, uh, well, well, two situations. One, maybe there's a spell. You know, uh, on this place that just kind of makes everybody chill and relax, maybe some kind of illusion spell. Or two, maybe it's like all the poppy field in The Wizard of Oz, where you think it's just all wonderful and light, and you're going, la-di-da-di-da, look, a poppy field. But then uh, you just kind of fall asleep and never wake up unless it snows. Do liches cast spells? Uh, probably. So I can't imagine why not. You want me to look it up? Uh, not I got really. the book. Okay. <laughs> you, got, you got the book, eh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If the liches are involved, then that must be it. Uh, it's important to note here that I didn't bring up the lich this time. It is weird, isn't it? It's some kind of spell. Like, it might be some kind of terminus spell, but uh, I don't know if it's caused by a lich or not. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, all right, we got one more. Christian from Gothenburg, Sweden. My holy crap, did you see that moment was probably the Bowman's, and that's Len he's referring to, his corpse after he had his lesson. Man, you don't want to go to Wild Dog High School. <laughs> no. <laughs> Who shot him? He was the Bowman. Who shot him with the arrow? Did he shoot himself, maybe? Maybe so uh, we, we didn't consider the fact that he might have committed suicide. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I think you could probably just beat a guy, then pick up his his bow and shoot him in the head with it. Yeah, can you shoot yourself in the head with a your own bow? Like, can you commit suicide with a bow and arrow? I don't know. I really don't know. You, I, I, if you tried hard enough, you probably could. You know, you you hold onto the bow with your uh, two hands. It's a trigger, though. It's not like a bow, bow, isn't it? No, I'm yeah, thinking of a crossbow. You're thinking of a crossbow. This is a compound bow. So you hang onto the bow with your hands, and you pull the arrow, uh, the pull the string back with your toes, and then uh, you let go. Hmm. Maybe that would work. I don't know. Keeping the arrow steady and pointed at your own face might be a little bit difficult with uh, your toe. Well, if he, I'm going to say he did not do that. I'm going to say one of them picked up his bow and shot him in the head with it. All right. Um, so we have three more here, Jason. The next one is for you, but these last three, I just want to let everyone know, get to be a little bit comic spoilery. Okay. They refer to some things that are from the comic books that may or may not have 
uh, something to do with this episode. So I thought I'd put them all at the end here. And if you don't want to hear anything about the comics, you can basically quit now or stop listening now. Um, that quit being the podcast. Yeah, just quit, quit, <laughs> move on. Um, that being the case, thank you for listening. Please check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash the talking dead, where you can go and pledge a little bit of money to us if you would like to. Um, and of course, all the regular ways to contact us, go to our website and you can find all of those. So uh, if you're going to move on, thank you for listening. Otherwise, we got a few more holy craps and they're a little bit spoilery for the comic. So Jason, you're up. All right. So we have uh, Maria from Spartanburg, South Carolina. Hi, guys. Love this episode and seeing Glenn and Maggie re reunite. But holy crap, did you see the size of that grill at Terminus? I'm afraid they're going to be serving Beth steaks. So I'm just going to go right into the next one. Donnie in Suffolk, Virginia said, My holy crap moment was when they made it through the last gate of Terminus and the lady is cooking on the grill. I heard in the comics that there was a group of cannibals. Could Terminus be this group of people and get people to come to Terminus only to trap them and have a food supply for the original group of Terminus? Mm. Um, Jason, just read the last one and then we'll All talk right. about this. Paul from Bakersfield. Holy crap, did you see that cannibal making barbecue? I live by three rules. If... I ever travel back in time. Don't step on anything because even the tiniest change could alter the future in ways I can't imagine. If someone asks me if I'm God, say yes. If I'm in the zombie apocalypse and someone puts up a sign, uh, sign leading me to their safe area and welcomes me while working on a barbecue full of unidentified meat, that person is a cannibal. So those are the three rules. <laughs> One, two, and three. Yeah. I Well, I have similar rules. My temporal rule is don't go back to the uh, the 1400s and get syphilis because uh, that, that shit will kill you <laughs> and make you go crazy. And that sounds very uncomfortable. Yeah. That's, that's more of a you just don't want to do that kind of thing. Uh, Paul's rule is more don't step on anything because the tiniest change, butterfly effect, right? Tiniest change. Yeah, I, can, w once I'm in the past, I don't care about that shit because uh, really uh, that affects other people and not me. Except if you don't get syphilis, presumably you'll go back to the future at some point. And if you change it all, it might be bad. Oh, no, that's fine. Getting syphilis and then coming back to the present, that's okay because they can cure it now. Oh. But back in the 1400s, they had no cure. It was like it just... You know, it was everything was fine until you started going crazy and then ended up dying after a while. All right. So make sure you have a way to get back is what you're saying. Yeah. If you're going to get syphilis, make sure you can come back to the present. Get some <laughs> penicillin for Christ's sake. All righty. So <clears throat> cannibals, Jason. The yep. the comic has a storyline involving cannibals. There's nothing in the comic about Terminus, but that doesn't matter. Do we think that the people at Terminus Turn, turnip, turnipness, turn, turnip, turnipness. No, they were they were barbecuing turnips. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they were barbecuing turnips? And do you think they eat those turnips with human meat? Okay, so there was some meat grilling on the barbecue. Uh, it looked like some kind of steak, right? Mm -hmm. Did you did you notice the steaks? It it did not. Well, here I'm going to speculate and say it did not look like human flesh. <laughs> Okay. I have no idea what that looks like, but I'm just assuming like a pig, right? I, I'm just assuming that human meat would be sort of like pork. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't see why not. Okay. So if it looked like uh, they were cooking a, a big ham, uh, I might be a little worried. But it looked like a steak 
of uh, some kind of bovine variety. So I'm kind of leaning towards not cannibals, but, uh, you know, first of all, I don't know what human meat looks like when you cut a steak off of somebody and start barbecuing it up. What the hell do I know, really? You put enough barbecue sauce on there, you could be barbecuing lettuce and it would look like a steak. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so really, I have no idea. It, and ultimately, yes, I think it's going to be cannibals. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I think it is going to be as well. I think that's where they're going here. Having her standing around that big barbecue was just kind of kind of a an inside baseball type of thing for the people that have read the comic. And uh, I would be surprised if they didn't go there. And the fact that they're cannibals and leading all these people into Terminus in order to uh, terminate these, uh, you know, this food source uh, leaves uh, the fact that they're growing sunflowers completely plausible because they don't need that uh, ground for, uh, you know, vegetables and, uh, you know, a, a renewable food source because they have a, a good renewable food source in the people that, you know, end up in their, uh, in their encampment. It, you know, to, to serve man is, is what it is. Like lure these people in and make them feel at home, make them feel comfortable, even if they hang around for a little while. Um, you uh you can you can get them on your good side before you hack off a steak and and eat well that said don't you think they'd want to you know maybe grow some stuff so they can have a nice salad with their human steak or yeah they had lettuce and stuff in other bins it was just you know they don't need all of it for lettuce because right. they uh, they have enough meat coming in right so Anyways, I think, you know, a lot of people are picking up on this, thinking this must be a cannibal encampment, and I think they're probably right. Um, do we think next weekend that will be revealed? <sighs> well, here's the thing. Are we going to talk about uh, the finale and what the, you know, what's going to, what might happen? Well, we don't really know. I've seen the preview for next week, but it doesn't show you much, although it it does show some signs of distress amongst some of our characters. Uh, but I really have no idea how that episode is going to play out. All right. So my my personal feeling is that it's going to be really boring if they don't bring up the cannibal aspect. Because, it you know, the season finale has got to kind of hand, uh, land on or end on a cliffhanger, sort of, like yeah. what's going to happen now. So arriving at a new place where everything is hunky-dory <clears throat> is really boring for a finale, right? The only conflict could be, uh, you know, the the wild dogs meet up with Rick and Michonne, and then Michonne takes them all out. Like, who cares? Uh, you're right. So, and and Rick with his big gun is going to blow the crap out of anybody that's there, and Michonne's going to twirl around and you know slash people's heads off, and that'll be the end of that. Daryl will be like, I didn't like those guys anyway. We got to go back for Beth. They go find Beth. They show up at Terminus, and we all go to sleep because it's boring. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Right. So I'm thinking, and, you know, thank God I'm not a writer because if that's the boring kind of stuff I can think of, that's the kind of show you would have. <laughs> but uh, so I'm thinking that something's got to happen at tournament, 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 to, uh to keep us interested and to launch us into uh, eight months of, holy crap, what the hell is going to happen next? No, you're absolutely right. I think I'd be surprised if they didn't, if they just didn't go all out and and tell us something that is totally shocking or have some of our characters in state 
a great state of peril and then cliffhang it and not, you know, not pay it off at all until next season. And you're right. Well, it's, it's not going to be just Rick finds the wild dogs and like, uh-oh, you invaded my house. What are we going to do now? You know? Okay. So who's missing? Beth is missing. <clears throat> yes. And we haven't heard from uh, Tyrese and Carol and Judith. They're just not there yet. So we're going to have that reunion, I bet. <clears throat> we'll so have that think, reunion. Do you think Beth is going to be hung up in a meat locker someplace? I think Beth, I have a feeling we aren't going to see Beth again this season. I think she will be gone. Maybe Daryl, if he comes to his senses, will say, I lost Beth. Maybe we should go look for her. But I don't think they're going to get around to it yet. I don't think we're going to see her. Or if we do, yes, poor Beth is going to be hung up in a meat locker. And, oh my God, can you imagine if they sit down to eat and it's Beth that they're eating and they realize it halfway through the meal? That'd be awesome. Oh my God, that'd be nuts. But I think it would be awesome. Maybe maybe the Beth reveal will be the snake in the mailbox kind of thing. At Right at the end, that will be the cliffhanger. It'd be like, everything's hunky-dory. We've dealt with the wild dogs and the Rick situation. And, you know, we've reuni- reunited the, uh, the Grimes family. And, you know, Carol's there. And that's kind of uncomfortable because Rick kicked her out. And then she killed a couple of little girls. And yeah. uh, that's all very uncomfortable. But then at the end, they're like, okay, we finally found this place. We're relaxed. We're having a nice meal. And then the camera, you know, pans into some kind of meat locker uh, where they have, you know, the, some kind of butcher shop. And then you have Beth tied up against the wall someplace, making it obvious that she's the next to be put on the chopping block. Alive or dead? Alive. I like this. I hope they do this, actually. I like this a lot. Beth is yeah. there. You're right. She's next on the block. Everyone, they don't know she's there. The viewer does, but they don't. And yeah. and they're all sitting out around a table having a nice time, you know, drinking wine and eating steaks. Maybe I should write this crap. Maybe. That's not bad, man. <laughs> that is not bad. Anyways. But that doesn't, uh, Maggie doesn't die in that, that version. No, you're right. But we'll see. Maybe Maggie's not going to die until season five. Right. You know? uh, maybe Maggie has to eat her sister and can't handle it and kills herself. Or, you know, maybe Maggie finds her sister in the, uh, in the chopping uh, or the, 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 you know, the, what do you call that? Butcher shop. Avatar. Uh, and, and dies trying to save her. I have no idea. Who knows? Some good ideas there though. I, we did, we totally did this speculation season finale bit here completely unplanned. So, uh, um, I don't know. I think we've got some good ideas. Hopefully we'll find out next week. If only we didn't have to wait a whole week to find out. If only. Come on. All right. Well, we have gone on long enough. Uh, We will do our feedback show on Wednesday, everybody. So get in your feedback. And if you have any predictions for the season finale, fire them in. Why not? We can't can't hurt to read some of those, too. It's always fun. And if you want to do that, give us a call on the Zomb line, 1-866-483-9662. You can also go to our website and use the send voicemail button. That is a little bit uh, better quality than the phone line, I find. So do that if you want. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. You can send me messages on there, too. I try to keep keep on top of those. And, of course, you can send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Only one more episode this season. I'm getting excited. I think we've come up with a lot of good ideas here, so we'll see how it plays out. And uh, don't forget to keep sending in your favorite scene recordings. The deadline for that will be the day after the season finale, and then we will announce the winner on the feedback show for the season finale 
finale, which is on the Wednesday next week. So uh, just nine days from now, from this very moment as we record. So um, get those in. Love hearing them. And, of course, just one more quick reminder to go over to Patreon if you want to support us. Patreon.com slash Dead. You can pledge any amount of money you want to us. And every little bit is immensely appreciated. We've got, you know, four levels of support, but you can go lower or higher than any of those. And uh, we've got some really simple but hopefully uh, um, valuable or nice rewards for the people that do go to one of those levels. So um, just a big thank you to everyone who checks that out, whether you pledge or not. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay, Jason, that's it, man. I am losing my voice, I think, a little bit, so we definitely have to wrap it up now, and hopefully right, my voice comes should, back uh, by Wednesday. Yeah, you should have uh, uh, a nice glass of hot milk and then go and cry yourself to sleep. I don't think I need to cry. I think maybe I'll just finish this podcast, release it, and then get a nice solid night's sleep tonight. Okay, well, whatever you need. <laughs> whatever works, eh? Yep. All righty. Uh, until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thank you for listening. We will see you in two days.